you will, take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We continue our series with God's message for today from the Gospel of Mark. When you found that, let me just say a personal word to the Hueytown family. We have an exciting summer. You may think you have an exciting summer plan, but let me just... This is exciting tonight when we gather. We're going to hear from some of our young people about the youth camp, student camp that was last weekend. So you need to be back tonight at 6 o'clock on Wednesday night. We gather with uh, at North Highlands, so obviously with them, but also with Union Hill, uh, Pleasant Ridge, probably some from Valley Creek. Uh, somebody told me yesterday that they thought the church was going to be filled Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for God and Country uh, celebration together as believers. That's going to be followed by fireworks, and so you come and be a part of that. It, that's fun. And then two weeks from today, you saw that um, insert. We we select our deacons. We look around at those men who are serving the Lord, and we tag them with the uh, responsibility, a biblical responsibility of being a deacon. And so that'll be on the 14th. Also, on the 14th, that'll be in the morning that night, uh, we will host the Quick family. I got a call, actually got a message on Friday night. Uh, you remember the Quicks? Tim and Sally, mom and dad, daughter Rebecca. She was a college girl when she was here last time. Single college girl. Just so you know, I think she's coming back to get revenge because someone in this church told her about a young man that she was going to school with up in Tennessee and Lynn's sake a year later. She married that rascal. So... Anyway, and it's going to be a fun night together. Then two weeks after the 14th on the 28th. Is that date still good, Jamie? Two weeks from uh, the 14th on the 28th. Uh, we're going to hear from Jamie's Sunday school class about their SOS ministry. They've been doing some great ministry work in our community. And you're going to be hearing testimonies from that class. And then to follow that weekend, we get ready for fresh encounters. If, you, uh, if you've not... Been in the book, in the devotional guide, their devotional guides here and in the back as we're on our countdown praying, asking God to give us a fresh encounter. We have an exciting time together, and I hope that you'll be a part of it. If you will, let's stand to honor the reading of God's Word as we continue this morning. Uh, I feel like for those that were not here yes, last week and uh, that I might need to tell you, we're going to pick up, it says, then, going to pick up, it says, then he said to them. Now, he is Jesus. So let me just tell you how this has happened. The beginning of chapter 4, Jesus tells the story of the sower and the seed. It's the first parable that Jesus tells. And then in the two or three verses intervening, those disciples get with Jesus to ask him some questions. And he answers those questions privately. So today Jesus is in that setting with the disciples and a few others. And he says, then, then the scripture says, Then he, Jesus, said to them, do you not understand this parable? That would be the sower. How then will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves. They are short-lived. When affliction and persecution comes because of the word, they immediately stumble. Others are sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of this world, the seduction of wealth, 
and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the ones sown on good ground are those who hear the word, welcome it, and produce a crop. Thirty, sixty, and a hundred times what was sown. Let's pray together. Father, take every word that you've given to us and plant it in our hearts. And if our heart has become like the path hard, I pray that you will use the power of your word to break that hard ground. I pray if our hearts are too busy that your word will come in and reveal that. If we're too concerned about the cares of this world, I pray that you will overflow us with your love and your word that we will become once again fruitful because we become good ground. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I separated this text. Not A lot of times preachers don't do that. I separated these texts over this chapter 4 because I think it is there are some things that we really need to get our heads around. Jesus is fairly clear as he begins teaching this part, as he begins telling them about this parable. He is pretty clear that the parable of the sower is a sort of key for understanding the kingdom of God as well as the gospel of Christ. And if you look in verse 13, he asks a couple of questions. He's told the parable of the sower. If you look back, they say... Uh, um, uh, they say something like, uh, um, what does this mean? And he not only says, do you not understand it? He says, if you don't understand it, how then will you understand any of the parables? You see, Jesus is looking at his disciples, and he's thinking that when people are in me, in Christ, they need to get it. They need to understand it. You see, when someone, when the Word is sown in someone's life, Christ expects the Word to be sown from someone's life. And as I get this, as I see this picture, I I mean no disrespect to Jesus, but it's almost like in those two questions that he's sitting there looking at this crowd (coughs) and scratching his head in unbelief. And then he says, verse 14, he says, The sower sows the Word. Now, we need to hang on to that through this entire message. The Word is sown. We need to embrace the truth of the statement. The Word is sown. The sower sows the Word. The Word is given. It is taught. It is communicated. It is seen. In fact, in fact, God is sowing the Word. We don't want to sow the Word. God's sowing the Word. Romans 1 tells us this, that He has put so much in creation that every person is without excuse. Now, did you hear that? Every person is without an excuse. That means the person who is outside of Christ. Maybe you've never made the decision to follow Christ. Scripture says you're without excuse. Maybe it's the person who's in Christ and doing their own thing. The Bible says you're without excuse. The Word is sown and people like you and me are with, without excuse. 
before a holy God. I'll just say this today, that the word is sown more frequently, more easily, and in more ways than ever before in history. But listen, while the word is sown more easily, more frequently, and in more ways, fewer people are adhering to it. Fewer people are obeying it. Fewer people respect it. Few pe- fewer people are following it. You want an example? This past Monday night, we went out on outreach. One of our teens got told, no, nah, no thank you. And the implication was, I really don't have any interest in what you have to say. Teddy and I were visiting. And we're driving down the road and we came to a stop sign. He looked down there and he said, um, see that guy? And I said, yep. He said, a couple of weeks ago we visited him. And he told us he didn't have time for us. And you're going, hey, Brother Jerry, you're right. There are some really hard-headed people out there. As your pastor with as much love as I can say, out there? Hard-headed people out there? When I began preaching years and years ago, I had an old preacher to tell me something. He said, you know, Brother Jerry, he said, when you preach, if you'll stay true to God's Word, if you'll not preach your philosophies or a psycho babble, if you'll stay true to God's Word and preach God's Word, you will, for the most part, not get in trouble because people are not going to argue with God's Word. But then he put the disclaimer. He said, but hear, hear, hear me well. When you start expecting people to live by God's Word, you're going to find yourself in trouble. You see, the Word is sown. We sow the Word from this pulpit no matter who stands in it week by week. But what do you do with the Word that has been sown in your life? Just think, you just came from Sunday school. <clears throat> Some of you were here last Sunday. The teenagers just came from student camp. The question is, what did you do with the Word that you heard? And the word from Jesus today through this story is about what we do with what we know. The, the message today asks the questions, how is it that you really receive the word because the word is sown and it's being sown and it will be sown? What do you do with it? Do you just sit there and listen? <coughs> do you just sit there and listen and it's gone, time you get out the building? Folks, what you do with God's Word, how you receive God's Word, how you respond to God's Word is a heart issue. And just as sure as your physical heart beats life into your body by transferring blood to every part of your body, perfusing your body and giving you life, your spiritual heart does the same thing And on the converse, when your physical heart stops beating, you come to death. When your spiritual heart stops beating, death comes. It's a heart issue. The book of Proverbs tells us much about the heart. I'm just going to give you three thoughts. You look on the screen, three thoughts from the book of Proverbs. First of all, it says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Then it says, a man's heart 
reflects the man. And then it tells us in Proverbs to guard your heart. You know why it tells us to guard your heart? Because of the message that we're going to hear from this scripture today. That's the Old Testament, Brother Jerry. Well, yeah, you want to hear what Jesus had to say? We'll just move forward to what Jesus had to say up here. Jesus had to say, out of the heart flow, <coughs> excuse me, the issues of life. He goes on to say, out of the ho- overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then he concludes that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Do you realize that is not a leading statement? That is a revealing statement? It doesn't say, it doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. He says, no, look where a man puts his treasure. What it is that he treasures. If we treasure our 401k more than we treasure heaven, if we treasure our families more than we treasure the family of God and our Lord Jesus, it tells us where our heart is. You say you can't know what's in a man's heart. And I will tell you, based on this book, you can watch and listen to a man and you can discover where his heart. It's with the heart that you receive Jesus or you reject Jesus. It's with the heart where you're saved or whether you're lost. It is with the heart that you believe or you don't believe. It is with the heart you are made. Years ago I was told what you are in private, what you are when you're alone, that's who you really are. So who are you? How does the Word impact you? What do you do with it? The Word's being sown. So the question is, how is your heart? So let's look at the heart checkup this morning because I believe from this text it shows us four hearts. shows us four clear hearts. Scripture says, Jesus said, first of all, verse 15 these are the ones along the path. I would call that the calloused heart. The calloused heart. You know what a callous is. Some of you have them. Callous is a piece of dead skin. No feeling. It's dry. It's barren. Lifeless. That's what a path is. A path is hard ground. It is dry ground. It is barren ground. You can't get anything to grow on it. When I was a teenager, we had some paths behind my uncle's house. And we decided we were going to break those rascals up. I took what's called a double bed axe, swung it as hard as I could, and when it hit the ground, it bounced off. Got about a, about a quarter inch. Because that path could not be penetrated. That's that calloused heart, that hard heart. It has trouble with emotion. It has trouble feeling things. Tears are never a part of the equation. The heart is never broken. There is no shame. There is no fear because it's like a callous. Teenagers, let me offer you a warning about a hard heart. leads to a running mouth. I told this story years ago. 17-year-old was inside of a convenience store. Three thugs walked in wielding weapons. They turned to the boy and they said, you, you stand there and you don't move and you shut up or we're going to kill you. 
Well, you got to know how kids are today. Ah, you ain't going to kill anybody. Boom! Last word he said. A hard heart. The hard heart is cold and impregnable and it's fearless because it doesn't have sense enough and feeling enough to fear. With the calloused heart, here's what happens. Watch this. Now, right here it says, I'm in verse 15. These are the ones sowed along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear the word, the seed sowed up immediately. Here it says, Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. If you go back to the beginning of the, ver- the, beginning of the chapter when Jesus tells us initially, he says, as he sowed this occurred, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. You see, here's what happens. When the word is sown into the heart of the callous, when it's sown into the calloused heart, here's what happens. Satan comes and steals the word. You see, it's just laying there on the surface. The birds of Satan come along and steal the word. You know, it's been said that Satan is the master of disaster and master of deceit. But you know what I want to give you today? Satan is the master distractor. Isn't it interesting? I'm at this point, at this, at this time of the service. Your pastor, your worship leader can pray all week. This is just one illustration. I'll give you dozens. Can pray all week long. Seeking a word from God. Seeking to lead us right. But by the time the words being sown, distractions come. A sound system goes haywire. A video jumps. The choir has a problem. People get up and walk around. And everybody gets distracted. And it's so easy to do so easy to be distracted for the hard heart because they're not really seeking to hear him as much as they are looking around. And the birds comes and pulls the seed away. The calloused heart may hear God, but he'll dismiss him because he feels nothing except what he wants, what he likes. And Satan wins the day. But the word is sown. By the way, if you think about this in a garden setting, would you plant seed on the path? You wouldn't waste the seed. And yet God in His graciousness still is sowing seed in your, on your hard heart. The calloused heart. The second heart we see here is what I call cluttered heart. It says, verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. It's sown on rocky ground where it doesn't have much soil. I mean, can you imagine planting your garden where where the dirt is inundated with rocks and stones and roots and it's not much soil? 
You can't because you wouldn't, wa- again, you wouldn't waste your seed. You see, it is your goal when you plant a garden to produce a crop. And you know that without good soil, you'll never bring in a harvest. Because you may plant that seed down there, and, <clears throat> and you've planted seed before, and I have too. And you have the seed soil prepared over here, but some of the seed falls over here on the side in, the, in that bad, dirty, cluttered soil. And, and the plants will come up. But the first time the elements come, the wind, the sun, the rain, when it comes, the plants are gone. This is a picture for us today of so many people. They'll come into a service one time, and they'll be the ones that lead the way to the altar. And and you just think they've had an experience with God. But they haven't no more than left the altar, and they've forgotten the whole shooting match because there was no root. They come to the altar, they weep profusely, they pray loudly, and they say they want God to change their lives. But the next day, they've forgotten all about what they said. All they really want is God to bandage their hurts. All they want really is for God to cover their mess-ups because they have no intent of turning from Jesus, from the world, to Jesus. Did you know you can't turn to Jesus if you don't turn from the world? Now, we've lied to ourselves. Oh, you don't have to put down a lot of things. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation, and the old things are past. All things are new. The Bible tells us to put down some things, to put away some things, even to put to death some things. It's one thing for us to pray a prayer, a prayer, and the other thing to really repent and turn from our old way of life and turn to Christ, and then do a little gardening where we dig down in our in our lives. And we dig out those things that are opposed to Christ, those habits, those desires, and those wants. Those things have to be dug up and cast aside to make room for Jesus in your heart. Some of us cannot get Jesus deep in our heart because our heart is so cluttered. In the 1960s, I was a teenager, and we were going to build a horse riding ring there in my hometown. One thing that had to be done is we had to go take the stones and the roots and the rocks that would do damage to our horse's feet. And we had to haul them, dig them out and haul them off. We had to remove the clutter. The same thing is true for you today if your heart is cluttered. There is truth to this statement. Jesus moves in only the places vacated for him. In Bethlehem, there was only room in the manger. Is there room in your heart for Him? The cluttered heart is the one who will refuse to change their lives and refuse to allow Jesus to change their lives in any way. And they believe that they're okay. But they are self-deceived according to God's Word. The cluttered heart. There's a third heart here. We'll call it the carnal heart. <coughs> Verse 18. Others are sown among thorns. <laughs> Don't you like that imagery? These are the ones who hear the word. 
But the worries of this world, that is, this carnal world, the seduction of wealth, the desires for other things enter in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. The word carnal literally means of the flesh or the world. So the carnal heart is that heart that's given to the things of this world. And the things of this world have a way of choking out the things of Jesus. You know what I've discovered in my life about thorns? Thorns are unforgiving. Have you ever gotten caught up in a rose bush or a briar patch? I remember on more than one occasion, okay, I'm a slow learner. I remember on more than one occasion of getting caught up in a, particularly a briar patch when I was rabbit hunting. And Michael, every time I would move, it would hurt. So you know what I finally did? Didn't move. That's a good, good answer there, big guy. Didn't move. I was paralyzed. Because every way I moved, it hurt. Do you know how thorns are in our lives? You know, another thing I'll tell you about thorns... Are you listening, kids? <laughs> thorns grow faster than good plants. You go plant a garden where you've got a whole bunch of thorns, and those, your, your beans, your peas, your corn, cucumbers, whatever, they'll come up. But you better watch that thing because those briars will be right back there, and they'll grow up way faster than your good plants. Thorns are persistent. And you're saying, well, Brother Jerry, you're talking in metaphors. What are the thorns of life? The thorns are anything that keeps you from pursuing Jesus. Now, there are some things named here, and I'll get to that. But can you picture the thorn choking you down and keeping you from moving? By the way, before we get to the actual things that the Scripture mentions, I love this picture, and it helps us understand that everybody is capable of getting in the thorns Back in when Jesus told the story, not when he's explaining the story, back in the first part of chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Other seed fell among thorns. It wasn't intentional that they got upon thorns. It was a matter that they fell among thorns. You see, the carnal heart lives in the land of spiritual thorns. And it is sad to say that in many cases, the reason they live there is because the things of this world mean more to him or her than the things of God. For years we've sung that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and then the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The thorns, that thorny heart, it will choke the spiritual life out of you. Now then, can you think in your life what it is that is your thorn? Can you think of what it is that's choking your spiritual life out of you? Is it a habit that you have? 
Is it a hobby? Is it your money? Is it a relationship? When I see this thorny person, it reminds me of the person who has one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And they're miserable in both places. I don't want to be too, I'm not trying to be off color, but I'm just going to tell you. When I worked on a ranch, I never wanted to straddle a fence. It's too painful. And misery loves company. Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. First Corinthians, Paul tells us that the carnal heart can't discern spiritual things because the carnal heart only sees as the world sees. And the world thinks this, I'm doing pretty good, doing my best. So what else is there? The reason I'm unhappy is because everybody is not bowing to me and because my wants, my needs, my likes, my desires are not being met. And may I just say this to everybody in this building without apology, that attitude is never a part of an authentic follower of Christ. The carnal heart is so filled up with the things of this world, he has no time, energy, or vision to follow the things of the Lord. He can't see spiritual possibilities. He can't see the spiritual purpose of God. And he can't see the spiritual plans of God because he's choked out by the thorns of this life. Have I gotten to your heart yet? There is one more. It's what I call a cultivated heart. A cultivated heart. Finally, Jesus tells us, did you think he was ever going to get here? Finally, Jesus said, there were some seed that fell on good ground with good soil, and it completed its purpose. It produced a crop. Now, everybody in this building needs to get your hand around that. We have not become a cultivated heart, a good heart. We have not become a heart after God, a, per a woman or a man after God, until we understand that our purpose in life is to produce a crop. Jesus is sowing the seed. The Father is sowing the seed. The preacher is sowing the seed. The teachers are sowing the seed with the purpose of producing a crop. The very reason that this land is good is because it has been cultivated. Have you ever thought about cultivation? I don't ask who's ridden a tractor or plowed behind a... Uh, we plowed behind a horse as much as a jenny and a donkey. We had what was called a middle buster. Middle buster was a plow that had plows on both sides. It wasn't just one side. That's one of the most violent actions that you'll ever see. You hitch that thing up to a tractor, there's some violence going on down there. You drop that plow into the ground, you give it that 500 horsepower of that tractor, dirt goes everywhere. It's violent. 
But it's required to make that soil soft enough to receive the seed and produce a crop. The attributes of a, of a cultivated heart is one that has been worked over by the Spirit of God. The one that has been softened by the fertilizer of God, by the, by the water of the Word. And so the seed is sown. And the soil receives the seed. And because the soil is prepared and ready and soft and pliable, in a little bit, in a week, you'll see a sprout. A couple of weeks, you'll see a plant. Do you know it's the same way spiritually? I want you to think about it. Just think back over the message of the morning. The calloused heart is too hard to receive the seed. The cluttered heart is too busy. Hello? If you think, you're, if you think busyness gets, is close to godliness, Phil Anderson has written a book entitled Running on Empty. How long has it been since you've just been in solitude, just you and the Lord? The cluttered heart can't do that because they're too busy. The carnal heart... It's too full of the world to allow Jesus to take over. Oh, we're passionate, all right, but we're passionate for all the wrong things. One of the things I love about being around teenagers, when they get sold out to God, their passion for God exceeds anything that adults, and that's a shame. The most passionate people for the Lord should be the senior adults because they've had more time to see God come through in impossible circumstances. I love the passion of the, of the teenagers. But you see the carnal heart so full of the things of this world. That it can't produce a crop. What kind of heart do you have? Which one's yours? Now you can tell me whatever you want to. But the Lord knows. How long has it been since you wept for someone? I used to hate this when I was their age. But I remember a day when moms would come to the altar and pray because their daughters were living in sin. I remember a day when dads would come to the altar and pray and weep because their son was living in sin. I remember a day when grandmothers would weep I remember a day when teenagers would weep over other teenagers because the very reality of, of dying without Christ and spending eternity in hell was very real. You know, if you'll open your heart to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come in with His divine middle buster and He will bust up that hard ground. He'll dig up the hard ground. He'll dig out the stones. He'll remove the, stone, the thorns. And he'll take things like pride and selfishness and greediness and unbelief. And he will even take your schedule and give it a once over. And then he'll take you to the cross. 
And He'll make you ready for God to use you. And instead of being a hard stone-filled thorn-controlled person, you'll become soft and sensitive to Him. Today, I don't ask you before me and I don't ask you before this body, but before God today, I ask you, how's your heart? What type of heart do you have? Does it need a little spiritual work? Ask the Spirit. He'll come to you. Realize that you need some help. Come to Him in repentance. It means you turn from something and you turn to Him. And it's got to be two turns. You try to turn from something by yourself and not turn to Him, you'll turn right back. Turn from the world and turn to Jesus and receive what He has for you and get a new heart. Let's pray together. Father, we need you today. We need you more and more every day. We ask you to speak words to us. Words that reveal to us where we actually are and then words that call us to where you want us to be. Help us to just surrender ourselves to you. Help us just to walk the way you've called us to. Bring us to repentance. Bring us to a change. In your name, amen. Just a second, we're going to stand and sing, I surrender all. I really do hope that that will be your prayer. Lord, I freely give it to you. Come to me and change my life. If you've never invited Christ into your life, you can make your way to the aisle closest to you, and I'll come and I'll greet you, and we'll talk about it. Maybe the Lord's spoken to you about your heart, and you don't need to talk to the preacher. That's good. Come down to the altar and talk to the Lord. Maybe the Lord is leading you to unite with this church. You come and see me, and we'll talk about it. What is God speaking into your heart today? Let's stand, let's sing, and you come on the first word of the song.